0: Welcome to a special collaborative episode of Cabin Minute Cast and The Thing Minute. This is a little just a summertime fun movie club we thought we'd jump up and and present just for fun. So this is uh, Heidi Bennett. And then we've also got Molly. So Want to say hey, Molly?
1: Hey, hey. <laughs> Molly Palin
0: and Harper Harper W Harris, what's going on, Harper? Hey guys. <laughs> so yeah, so the three of us got a wacky hair up our pods to uh to check out Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. So this is horror sci-fi 1978. So a year after Star Wars, for those of you watching Star Wars Minute and listening what, to Star One year Wars BBY. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I actually found a lot of connections to some of their Movies by Minutes podcasts too. But yeah, an interesting cast and it's something I hadn't seen in quite a long time. So I really, let me ask you, Molly, what's your relationship, um, if any, to this
1: flick my relationship is with donald sutherland oh <laughs> I, i'm gonna out the poor man here but uh my first like real boyfriend there was uh an, i don't even know i think it might have even been in relation to this movie but uh it was certainly a 1970s donald sutherland like peak vintage donald sutherland and when we were teenagers he made this comment in front of myself and his his man friends that he thought donald sutherland was a really attractive man Mm -hmm. and i was like kind of team Kiefer at the time so i was like (laughs) bro whatever but i in reviewing this movie i'm like wow yeah donald sutherland really has this amazing kind of roguish and he's canadian too which i did not know either Mm -hmm. which is i didn't know that yeah like just a brilliant flavor that i did not know existed (laughs) That makes up a Donald Sutherland. So that is my connection to the movie. So
0: your connection, if I heard you right, is that you were dating somebody who thought he was attractive. And so you investigated and also found him attractive. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But it was funny.
1: So it does have an inside joke. So for years after it was this ongoing thing about how he found Donald Sutherland to be attractive. Because I don't particularly when I think of like heartthrob, I don't think Donald Sutherland, no Mm -hmm. offense, sir, but that's why it was kind of a a funny statement in and of itself. And it just, it just stuck around. So I have, I have a, a warm place in my heart for, for Donald Sutherland. And now I really have an appreciation. It took like 20 years, but now I have like a really deep appreciation for what he was saying from reviewing this movie. Gotcha. And Harper, how about you?
2: Sure. Um this was one I somehow had this is one of the movies I'm going to add to my list of I cannot believe I hadn't seen this before because mm-hmm. it's like it's just one of those ones that's like perfectly in my wheelhouse of of science fiction and horror and uh classic sound design and you know the, the cast is like all people that I really like a lot and but yeah it's one I had never seen before watching it for this I watched it last week and um I think I've maybe seen some of the um of the original one from the fifties. Maybe I feel like we've watched that in school at some point, but I don't Mm -hmm. have like a strong memory of it, but I had definitely not seen this one. And, um, uh, you know, it got brought up by multiple guests on the thing minute, uh, in regards to the, the ending of this movie, which has been, was spoiled for me long ago. <laughs> right, um, right. Uh, You know, there's obviously some connections there between uh, this movie and the thing. So that's, that's kind of what got me interested in, in the first place. So I was, I was really happy when you suggested uh, putting this together to give me an excuse to watch it. Cool.
0: So yeah, let's just dive in. I'll just um, say, yeah, like I mentioned, it was released in 1978 and Stars Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Jeff Goldblum, and a couple of of other folks (laughs) that we all know and love. Veronica Cartwright, uh, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. So those are kind of our main players, right? And uh, let's see. How about, let's just talk about the sound design, the the beginning of it. Ooh, got a little... (laughs) (laughs) A whoop, whoop. <laughs> Anything that anybody wants to to talk about here, let's just let's free free bullet.
2: <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll throw out that the the special effects just kind of blew me away. Uh, even even right from the beginning, the like weird psychedelic sequence with like the the like soap bubbles floating through space mm. towards Earth, and like I wasn't expecting any of that. Like I. Outside of literally the last like 30 seconds of this movie, I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> so yeah, that that stuff is really cool, and then just the way they do the whole thing with like the the weird, like clear gelatin alien that's like you know dripping down the plants and then growing the veins and and then, of course, um, all the cool effects of the actual like bodies growing and stuff is just like really creepy and, and wonderful. So yeah, that was r- literally from the first, the opening, like couple minutes, I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is something special. I really like this already. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I had not remembered that beginning part at, at all. I had no memory of it and it really did connect to, to me, the seventies. When I think of the seventies, I think of, uh, macrame hanging on the wall which we get a little glimpse in their apartment but these connections to nature and you know the colors and the colors of nature and lots of plants in the house and everything Mm -hmm. i can really remember that from the 70s and that back to the land sort of natural vibe people were going making their own yogurt at home and you know sort of Mm -hmm. uh, indoor-outdoor California living and all that. So I felt like that organicness of the kind of gauzy, gelatinous alien creatures (laughs) floating. and, And then, yeah, and then the way they connected to the plants, it looked so organic. And then it just, I don't know, it kind of reminded me of just that era, I guess, of other movies from... The 70s, like uh, Logan's Run or something, too, with the music. and
2: Oh, yeah, the music.
0: Music That's was great. cool. Is it Tangerine Dream that did the music? That's what I thought was interesting, too, is it's not Tangerine Dream. And might take yeah, me a second to now. look at... I was reading that this was like the only film score that the individual did. Yeah, it says Denny Zeitlin, or Zeitlin, Z-E-I-T i l i n i think and it says yeah despite its popularity and critical praise it's the only film score he ever composed wow that's so
2: strange yeah Mm -hmm.
0: and then the film had had another uh, it had sound innovation (laughs) like this is wikipedia the film featured a number of sound innovations by uh (laughs) ben burt so you know ben burt is a big star wars guy So I just thought that was interesting, too. But yeah, let's see what it says. Uh, Created a number of special sound effects for this film. The film sound was mixed by Mark Berger of American Zoetrope in the four-channel Dolby stereo process, which was not yet standard exhibition equipment in most theaters. So we get the benefit of of that at home if we have that a, a stereo system that's up to the task <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all yes. of all that good
1: stuff well said uh you were mentioning things that were very quintessential 70s and and I think maybe even California there's a moment I think this is when like Nancy is like fully freaking out where they this is kind of post when they go to the spa which I want to talk about too uh-huh. the spa is totally weird for me yes <laughs> <laughs> And she's talking about how she's talking about like DNA recombining and like alien influence. And I was like, wow, that's a really very new age philosophy and something that I didn't realize in that chariot of the gods sort of sense was a a, a zeitgeist in the late 70s. That there's this really like new age hippie, which I mean, yeah, 60s, but I didn't know that that was really a part of something that was even kind of discuss because I feel like I hear that in New Age circles being on the West Coast a lot about DNA recombining. I had like a friend who was way into like new age stuff and would go to these conferences and be like, you can take the metal and it'll it'll realign your your DNA and clean it up and take out the alien influences and whatnot. And and this is something that was just, you know, tossed out. So I don't know if that's somebody took that idea from this movie and then based some other additional Thought and spirituality around that, or there was something that was predominant at the time, but I was like, wow, that's just a very, that's a very new age Cali sort of, we're trying to make sense of this really wacky situation and we're going to the new age to try and figure out what's going on. I just felt like that was a very period thought piece sort of thing to say at that moment
2: that must have been a big thing you're right because uh it's funny to bring it back to the thing for just a second there was they in the thing that one of the the, like hippie character brings up uh chariots of the gods which is like you know sort of a similar idea that the whole Mm -hmm. idea that like aliens came and taught the incans and the mayans or, or whoever you know Built built all that stuff and taught mm-hmm. them math and science. So it must have been some weird thing in the zeitgeist where where a lot of those kind of ideas were floating around because that that was only a couple of years after this when that when mm. yeah that makes sense yeah
0: it definitely was because I remember as a kid in the seventies seeing magazine articles and other things that had to do with like using triangles to connect to you know UFOs and, <laughs> and things that seemed spiritual and metaphysical and Mm. combining yeah nonsensical weird scientific you know a combination of things that seemed scientific enough for you to believe it and then also always looking up to the sky and seeing if we could find something up there that was flying in a weird direction and and uh Mm. I'm sure I was doing a little bit of light reading as a kid about that kind of stuff, but it did seem like it was like you said in the Zeitgeist. One thing I I thought was interesting about this in comparison to uh John Carpenter's the thing was that right away paranoia is played with in a little bit of a different way, but it's it happens yeah. it almost instantaneously. Our lead character is suspicious and thinking that her her partner or husband is um, acting differently. You know, within one night of we get to, to a little glimpse as to both of their characters, especially that he likes to watch the game and play. You know, listen on his, to things on his headphones, and that they're kind of a playful couple. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting how in the opening scenes with the two of them in their San Francisco apartment that you never really get to see them too much together. The way that that, uh, particular shot where they're kind of being playful with each other in a room, but you're just sort of seeing their legs.
1: Mm. Right.
0: And then they go to bed and she's put that flower next to the bed and then the next day he's, you know, somebody else.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty... There's a lot of really good, um, economy in the, in the like character development in the movie, because yeah, they, it's done so quickly that like that change happens, but you totally get it. And you understand why she's suspicious because they, the way they set it up or like, you know, he's very, he's very like obsessed with, I can't remember which team it is, but you know, he's like obsessed with a sports team. And then the next day he's like, no, that's all right. I'll just skip the game or whatever. And she's like, huh? Like, (laughs) Mm It's just, yeah, it's smart the way it's set up so that you can you can totally believe that she would think that. She doesn't seem crazy, you know, based on just the little bit that we've seen. You, you really understand where she's coming from. Well, it's also really
1: funny because the progression's like, oh, he's not interested in, in the game and he's not interested in sex. Who are you? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the two big tip-offs for her. They're like, mm-mm, sums up.
2: Typical men.
1: Yeah, it's, just, it's, <laughs> it's funny. Speaking of that, and there isn't there's you know it's a different time but there's a point where uh nancy and elizabeth go. they're like go in the car you know we men are going to take care of this and
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: the dudes hop in the next car and we're like we're gonna you know we're gonna work this out and put the women in the car and send them send them home and tell them not to let anyone in
2: yeah that's that's maybe one of the few things that I didn't like about the movie is that I thought I feel like it's sort of strange that it starts with Elizabeth as really kind of the protagonist mm-hmm. and then at <laughs> some point gradually it, you you realize like oh we're not really following her anymore we're following um, Donald Sutherland's character mm, right? yeah and it just sort of it doesn't really like switch over at a specific point it just sort of all of a sudden you realize like oh we're not really following her anymore like you know it's just weird because I, I think she's a They're both interesting characters, but I think Elizabeth's character is a little bit more interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And and looking at it from her perspective is much more frightening than like, he doesn't have anybody that he's like connected to who's being turned, at least not right away. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, from her perspective, it's much more like you're in it with her and you understand the paranoia. And I like, I loved that part of it. So I thought it was kind of strange when suddenly it's like, you know, we're following him around more than Elizabeth.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of following him around the way that the cameras, the camera felt intimate and almost like it was a documentary style in some points where it was seemed like the camera was sort of hopping in the car with him and moving around. And even the the ways that the camera was moving around sometimes felt like you're the way you would see things in an in increasingly
1: scary place
2: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely
1: yeah there's a lot of that visual skewing the cinematography for this movie is incredible like it's a character onto itself and and i just maybe i'm just watching so many superhero movies these (laughs) days but i'm like oh wow yeah this is this is real capital r real cinema where you have the actual cinematography is used to elicit a particular fear response and you know Harper you being an audio guy i'm i'm sure you've got lots to say about the the music about this tube and and these like these stings where it almost seems like they're they're playing like a theremin on occasion where there's this dissonant noise coupled with it so it's it's classic horror but it's also like 70s san francisco so everything's kind of like modern and bubbly at the same time is really eerie
2: yeah the the music and and the sound design and everything working together just causes this whole like the whole movie just feels super uneasy like mm-hmm. you know like you said everything seems sort of like you know happy and bubbly on the surface and then you know things just start seeming weirder and weirder and you know it's, it's almost like the the plot catches up with the, the music <laughs> hmm because, I mean, you know, as awesome as the music is, it's not that unusual for this time period, I guess. Because, I mean, you were getting movies like, you know, Blade Runner was just a couple of years after this that had, you know, an all synth score. And I'm trying to think of some others. But, you know, a lot of the early like slasher movies and stuff are, are very like synthesizer heavy. All, all of John Carpenter stuff, obviously, too. Mm. But, but yeah, it just works super well to kind of make you feel uneasy. And I think really that's, that's, to me, that's my favorite thing about this movie is that. Uh, I love the whole movie, but like once, once like the jig is up and you know exactly what's happening, it's slightly less interesting to me because the first half when there's just like kind of strange stuff going on, but it's not like, it's not like really weird. It's just sort of like on the fringes. It just like really puts you in Elizabeth's shoes and it's just really, really unnerving. Mm -hmm. And just the way that it unfolds as far as, you know, she thinks her husband's acting strange and then she starts kind of noticing some weird things around and sees him like you know having those weird meetings where they're like tra- the trading the boxes and stuff and and then yeah when it gets really crazy to me is when they go to that the, all the relationships in this movie are very strange like I don't quite understand how all these people know each other but they go to the weird like uh, I guess I think it's like a is it like a book signing with yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how they know each other but. <laughs> But yeah, and then, you know, there's other people who are saying that their spouses are also, you know, acting very strangely or are not themselves. And it's like, okay, now there's something really, really strange going on. And just the sort of like casual things that happen that make them kind of realize that this is bigger than what's just going on with her husband. The the guy that gets shot and then, or he get, does he get he gets hit by a car?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And then nobody seems to be like concerned about him. And, and you know, and, and then, of course, all the phone calls that start going to going nowhere and, it's just really clever the way that stuff plays out. It's very like, it's very subtle and like, it feels like a movie that like you watch a second time. I bet there's lots of other things you kind of spot happening that are, that are weird and out of the ordinary.
0: Yeah. I was noticing, it was kind of reminding me a little bit of, which of course is way after this. So it may have been an influence on, which would make sense on uh, Shaun of the dead. Yes. That there's people right away, even though the lead character's still in his own world in the beginning, and just sort of doing his normal get up, get coffee, you know, talk with his roommates, and go to work, and, and you know, or go get his his soda and at the local little corner market and go to work. But that behind, but around him, if you pay attention, you'll see that there are already people who have turned you know into zombies and on future viewings of that movie you see more and more and that's what i was noticing with this watching it the other day was like oh as the um as there's this walk and talk between our two protagonists in the beginning in their um workplace there's this guy like looking at them through a glass a window through a door in a weird way and then there's the um I think Chinese gentleman that jumps or that bumps into her and it kind of gives her a weird look. And, and then, so there are on the streets and around them things already happening right away that are Mm -hmm. strange connections and, and bumpings. And one thing I noticed too, is she was saying that I believe uh, once they change They have no emotion, but it's not really that they Mm -hmm. have no emotion. They still do. It's just, what would you guys describe
1: it as? Because it's like a a dulling almost.
2: Yeah. It's like an eerie calm.
1: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Because they do say that they, you know, retain memories and, you know, certain, I don't know, personality traits, I guess. But yeah, they're not. Yeah. And I think that that was something that Leonard Nimoy talks about you know there's no hate there's no love so basically there's no passion
2: yeah that's a good way to put yeah. it I'm
0: trying to think about oh molly you were mentioning something about the mud baths or that you wanted to talk about that
1: <laughs> well for me it was really not unlike the bookstore scene where you're like why are, well it's like i guess it's a bookstore but the book mm-hmm. signing where I had the impression that Jeff Goldblum's character was a writer, like a writer proper. And so when we first get introduced to him, he's kind of shit talking <laughs> and really, you know, calling Litter Knee a hack, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I figured like, oh, he's like maybe a fellow writer, you know, who's maybe like not writing so much right now. And then he walks into a spa right after, but you see his name on it. So I'm like, oh, so you co-own a spa? Like, that's what you do, but you're not actually working at the spa? There's this other chick, so then I was really, you know, confused about, okay, are you, are you, is Nancy, like, a worker there, but you have a flirtation with her? Um, Wait, no. You guys kind of co-own the whole thing, so it just seemed really, and it's kind of a, you know, it's a 70s spa, and so there's a certain, I don't know, it had a less less than sanitary flavor for me just (laughs) definitely (laughs) so it it just seemed really incongruous with them as characters and i'm like that's a really weird i'm not connecting your random poetry with being a 70s spa co-owner so that was kind of weird for me so i don't know if that struck you
2: guys at all Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think that's one of the really odd, like as, as good as the script is in terms of like, you know, building the paranoia and the tension and and that kind of thing, the, like, it's like, they totally skipped the like explanation of how these people know each other or who they Mm -hmm. are because like, even just Elizabeth and, um, Donald Sutherland's character, like, I, I think like he's her boss, right? Yeah. Yeah but but they have this weird thing where she like comes over to his house and eats dinner sometimes like by herself like (laughs) like they're really they're like weirdly close even even before the like romantic subplot with them kind of starts to unfold and then Mm -hmm. yeah and then how how do these people who work for like the department of um health yeah the department of health how 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 are they in touch how is he like close friends with this like famous psychoanalyst writer leonard Nieboy. Like that they could just like go up and chat with him. And then and somehow Leonard Nimoy's character knows Jeff Goldblum's character, who presumably since he owns a mud bath spa is not like (laughs) a super famous writer. Like it's just all of their like interrelationships are really weird and undefined. And like it doesn't really matter in terms of like the overall story, but it's just yeah, it's definitely strange yeah, and, and that moment when they walk into the spa was definitely where it all sort of that that aspect sort of fell apart for me because I was like, <laughs> okay, what? <laughs> like who, who is this and what is going on here? Yeah,
0: you can kind of <laughs> see that maybe working back from an idea like when they're developing the story of how we're going to see this first body revealed mm-hmm. right, right. that is the the Jeff Goldblum pod and. Um, mm that maybe they're working back from like well where could we be you know what's the location well what weird things in san francisco are there right now where there's where you'd have somebody you know like oh well maybe it could be at a morgue you know oh no well that wouldn't work because they just think it was a dead body or you know i could see that being something where they kind of work backwards from a an end part of the
2: story yeah yeah had to be something like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. the The connections are really weird, and and it's not even like that. Leonard Nimoy is is just a writer. He's like you're saying, this famous psychotherapist. So his writing is
2: related to therapy. Yeah, he's also an expert in weird leather yeah, hand what? jewelry. What?
1: Okay, <gasps> so
0: I was telling my husband about that. I was like telling him that Leonard Nimoy's character is this writer slash therapist and where's this leather thing, but it's not really a glove. Uh,
2: what the heck is that thing? So in, in the trivia, it says it's called a half glove. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is ridiculous. Um, it said he, uh, he had a Letter new I had a friend who wore one to cover a burn on his hand and he just wore it in the movie because he thought it would make him more distinctive and recognizable. Like, who doesn't recognize Leonard Nimoy? Interesting. Really? At this point in time, who doesn't know who Leonard Nimoy is? (laughs) So
1: weird. Yeah, I was like, is that like, do you do archery or something? And that's you just left it on because you're like, I'm a badass and I'm wearing a turtleneck and I'm Spock and I have archery in the afternoon then go out to my book signing and that's just your 70s San Francisco life I don't know but yeah it was really it was a strange addition well we all remembered it so (laughs) there's one thing yeah Yeah, he
0: man he pushed my buttons right away Mm. this person I mean man him the way he just forced his view as being the correct view on everybody especially being somebody who's a coach as coaches were asking questions and asking our clients to experiment and be curious and alt- and also to, you know, trust themselves. And to me, what he was doing was the opposite of that. So it was really, it was really getting my goat.
1: Yeah. Bro did not have a client centric no. philosophy <laughs> in his, <laughs> his therapy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> totally. No. And, it, you know, it's funny that I was thinking about it when, since you mentioned um, Shaun of the Dead earlier, that this movie's kind of unique in that, you know, Shaun of the Dead is making fun of, in that part of the movie, it's making fun of the fact that in most horror movies, it's incredibly obvious that something bad is going on and people just don't seem to notice it or don't believe you when you tell them that's going on or whatever. But in this movie, it's like abundantly clear to everybody except for Leonard Nimoy's character who continually just <laughs> tries to prove them wrong. So it's really, it's odd. There's like this weird role reversal there. So it's, you know, it's not like the audience knows what's happening and the characters don't like most of them know, but they're not believed by this one person of authority. So
0: here's my question, which will sound familiar to you, Harper, but when do you
2: think he turned? Yeah, I knew this was coming. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, because I, I think there's a real possibility he was already turned at the very beginning, like before we even see him. Mm. Uh, because you, you know it's like in the thing one of the things we always did was try and see if there was like a point when somebody's behavior changed dr- drastically or like they said something and then later on they kind of contradict the way they were thinking about something but yeah the first time we see him he's already on like oh the, these crazy housewives and you know that think their husbands have turned into different people like it's just like it's just so funny the way he's like he's much it's much easier for him to believe that it's like this bizarre mass psychosis that like everybody is having the exact same like hallucination or whatever, mm-hmm. then then that something actually strange is happening. But um, yeah. So, I mean, because we never see what he's like, like he he's on that same line. Like he's working for the pods from the very beginning, whether he's actually taken over or not, you know?
1: Yeah. What did you think, Molly? I think it had to be early on. What's funny about it is that, he has such an even affect mm-hmm. that it's not discernible by his friends. <laughs> He's been switched out, which is a little its <laughs> kind of a bummer because <laughs> that's supposed to be the whole point is that there's a tell that they can't really pretend because they don't have the, you know, the, the passion anymore. I think it has to be very early on because he does do that. He slams Jeff Goldblum up against a
2: wall mm-hmm. kind of early on. Um, when also swing. a weird thing for a psychiatrist to do. <laughs>
1: yeah. So that's kind of some strange therapy. I don't know. But I think it has to be shortly after that because we don't really see anything aggressive after that point. And because that's a very, you know, violent and aggressive move. I think he has to be normal in the beginning, but maybe after that point they get to him.
2: Yeah. It's certainly early on, regardless, Mm -hmm. like at some point, either before we see him for the first time or very soon after.
1: Yeah. One thing
0: that makes me think about how, how relevant this is to the seventies too, is that there's a lot of spiritual exploration going on, um, at Mm. this point and that the way that the, the pod folk, towards the end of the movie are describing, you know, you still have your thoughts and your memories. You're still you, just whatever, a less stressed out or less reactionary you is that it could be also like sort of the, what I think of <laughs> when people are so spiritually connected that they're just calm oh. kind of calm and almost, almost to the point of an, a coldness, an unfeelingness, which is something that gives me the heebie-jeebies. You know that idea of like, if I medit—I mean, and I'm a meditator, and you are too, Molly. I you know. <laughs> but like, if I meditate, you know, a lot, and I get really, you know, at this high level of resonation that I'm just. I don't react to anything. And I'm almost like a pod person. So I could see this being a, a bit of a reaction to that too.
1: hmm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really, I think that's actually very wise, especially considering what's happening at that time to, maybe that's part of the comment that that's part of the blowback that in the search for enlightenment and spiritual growth, that actually that feigned, peace is is not real you know just because you're you know pretending to be peaceful doesn't mean you actually are peaceful and there's there's still just to come back to spock that's kind of spock's jam too is that i've i've removed all emotion i'm pure logic but i'm half human but sometimes it creeps in and and i'm a badass but but i i hide it all away so i feel like this this time period is dealing with with the human element, that human emotional element, and what to do with all of that.
2: Sure, and and given given the fact that he's like a, a psychoanalyst too, uh, you could you could read it too as like the like over medi- medication of people too, like mm. you know that people people who are on like heavy antidepressants and stuff always talk about how it sort of like dulls their feelings and dulls their you know like it turns them into a, a less interesting person even if they're you know they're less kind of uh, you know they have less difficulties from that, from the other perspective, like the reason they got prescribed it in the first place. But, you know, it's mm-hmm. almost like that too, especially given that he's a psychoanalyst, that that kind of popped into my head when I was watching it too. Totally.
0: Yeah, and I do feel like even though um, the Elizabeth character, she's, I felt she was very likable, but there's definitely he, Veronica Cartwright's character, Nancy is more hysterical. And so there is there is a little bit of a connection of the hysterical women just overreacting to the, <laughs> <that's> mm. <there.
2: laughs> yeah. Oh man. Although it was nice that, you know, I, I almost expected Donald Sutherland's character to, to be like, you know, kind of wave it off when she came to it. But she, he's very like, he believes her like almost right from the start. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a nice change of pace for what I was Absolutely. expecting. Sure. Yeah. And I
0: feel like, he had good intentions, you know, bringing him, bringing her to Leonard Nimoy was not a great idea, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but when he introduces her to Jeff Goldblum's character, he says, oh, is, this is the Elizabeth. So you definitely feel like mm-hmm. he's already you know, absolutely in love with the with her and, mm-hmm. you know, thinks that this guy that she's with is kind of a adult and yeah, that they already have this comfort in their relationship that they're talking easily with each other. And I, I love that he's making, um, you know, he's using a walk to make his dinner because that is so <laughs> 1970s. And then, so I think San Francisco, like
2: uh, it's just cracked me up. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of great stuff like that too where um i loved the i wrote down the line when um she the first time she tells him like my husband's been acting really strange and he's he's like uh well it can only be an improvement (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) one thing
0: that was really cool atmospheric touch was the garbage trucks yes Mm -hmm. they always had that kind of weird I guess it was like remnants of the pods or what did you guys think? It was always sort of this
2: same gauzy stuff in those trucks. My impression was that it's the, it's the real bodies of the people like that after, after they, after they grow the mm. new body out of plants, they like the old body, like kind of disintegrates into that weird cotton candy looking wispy stuff. Oh, yeah, that makes and sense. And then the garbage vendor just throwing it all out. So, so Something like yeah,
0: because then the first night after her husband, Elizabeth's husband, Jeffrey changes into a pod person, then he, her, she watches him out the window walk to the garbage man in the garbage truck <laughs> and kind of pass along his little can of garbage. So, yeah, that totally makes sense. And I like how, like, right from the beginning, there's those trucks and then they're just sort of there the whole rest of the
2: movie. So if if aliens invade Earth, the first people they're going for are the garbage men. <laughs> <laughs> You're you're at high risk if you if you're a garbage man of getting infected by an alien. Apparently,
1: yeah, I was very impressed with their commitment to sanitation right away. That like they are like on that, and I I think you're right, Harper. I think they're just they're they're cleaning up the real people. But I I kept expecting something to come back around to the garbage trucks that that somebody would see the connection of the garbage trucks, but we never it's it's never consciously discussed at any point that I can recall anyway.
2: No, I don't think so. Yeah, I I thought that was one thing that's actually really interesting about the movie is that like, and uh, again, this sort of ties into the thing a little bit for me and that like the rules of how it all works are never like 100% clear to me. Like Mm. even how they like take people over and how they grow and like the whole thing where like if you fall asleep, like the plant version of you wakes up, it's all sort of vague and just sort of hinted at. And there's never like a scene where somebody like, you know, sits down and like explains it all on a chalkboard kind of thing, you know, like there's a lot of stuff that's kind of left for you to kind of connect the dots. Yeah. It's is, is
0: smart. I and think. it seems there, there may be a couple of ways because in that really amazing scene where Donald Sutherland, AKA Matthew is falling. So the whole gang is together in one house. I think it's his house and uh, he's, sort of secured the perimeter and they're all lacking sleep and he starts to fall asleep out in his little garden then there's that animated sort of stringy um, vine that starts to come at him and the pods start to, you know, flower and birth the I think you called them pod babies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's so
0: cute. So why, you know, why was it touching him? You know, was it gonna like ensnare him so he couldn't move or is that part of the process? And then then when they started to come out, they were formed in different Sort of fo- some of them were more of a baby, and what some of them were a little bit more adult formed, and that scene I hadn't re- remembered at all from seeing it when I was younger, and it was so
2: creepy. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I love that part.
1: Oh my god! And that's what I I didn't understand to fast forward a little bit with Elizabeth's transformation because Jeffrey. I don't know if Jeffrey doses her at one point and that's uh, Matthew is calling her house and, and you know, Jeffrey picks up and then he puts the, you know, the phone off the hook and then uh, Matthew rolls over and breaks in. And that's when he actually sees the, the weird duplicate of her mm-hmm. like in the garden and um, Elizabeth sleeping. So what I don't understand is how many duplicates gotten made and if you wake up, does that just halt the process? And then if you go back to sleep, it finishes. Kind of like if you're going to go ahead and upload a file to Dropbox, but you walk away and you come back <laughs> <laughs> and it starts back up again. So I don't know that life cycle because it seems to me when we finally get to, you know, the if we you know skip ahead to the end, it doesn't seem like she's asleep that long. Right. And then you're like, bam, and she, you know, she pokes her head up out of, she's just there, you know, the duplicate's just there. Yeah,
2: it's it seems like it's some kind of psychic thing to me, where it's because they they make that connection where like the instant the real person wakes up, like the pod person, you know, goes back to sleep or stops stops stop existing or whatever. But it's like um, it's like the consciousness can only be in one body at once or something like that, maybe. Mm. But then, but yeah, I don't really like. The process in which like after the pod person like goes live or whatever you know how it takes care of the the real person's body or like you know that whole process is very unclear like we never really see how that all plays out because yeah it seems like just like the vine touching you sort of like gets an imprint of your dna to maybe just grow the the like shell grow the body and then Mm -hmm. but then there's some sort of weird psychic thing where it's getting the consciousness that's that was the best i could understand what was happening yeah, I think that's fair.
0: So I think that there were some interesting things about the folks behind making the movie that I just wanted to mention. So the cinematographer was Michael Chapman. We talked about, you know, what a great job he does. That he actually was um, in his early work a camera operator for Steven Spielberg on Jaws. Oh. And then he also collaborated with Martin Scorsese. So he was uh, the cinematographer for Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. And to connect him to Spinal Tap Minute, he was actually the cinematographer for The Last Waltz, which we mentioned a lot in that on that podcast. He also, there's some funny little cameos in this movie, and he... has a cameo as the health department floor cleaner, uncredited. (laughs) (laughs) The director, Philip Kaufman, he's done a lot of screenwriting, uh, especially like for Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, The Right Stuff, which is one of my other favorite movies, which I know Nancy Cartwright is in that as well. Yeah, so he's done a lot of different work and he's also done... Uh, some character interesting yeah screenplay for henry and june and the unbearable lightness of being which i can't really remember but uh he also did the screenplay for one of my other favorite movies which is the wanderers if you guys are familiar hey, with that. i haven't seen that wanderers is one of those movies that sometimes people go oh do you mean the warriors but no, it's a different one. <laughs> it takes place in 1963, and it's a little darker. And it's actually pretty creepy, but has really great music. And anyways, that's that's for another day. But Ken Wall and Karen Allen are the, the leads in that one. It's pretty trippy. So it was, it was interesting to see what other things he'd done and see how much they connected to, to you know, well-loved movies.
2: Yeah, and the, and just to to drop in one last uh, another cameo. Did you guys see Robert Duvall yes, in the beginning? That was so weird. Isn't that
1: weird? Yeah. Did you
2: see so that, weird. Molly?
1: I didn't catch him. I read it after the fact in the trivia. I was like, God, I don't remember seeing him. Yeah, he's like. Yeah, me and my wife were watching
2: again, and we were like, "Is that Robert? Yeah. Duvall? He's on the <gasps> oh, swing. Was the, was the priest?
1: Yeah. Oh, okay." Okay, and Jerry Garcia is the yes. banjo player.
0: He plays <laughs> yeah. the banjo uh, uh, for
2: the guy that's in the the movie. That's the musician. <laughs> i wish it was his face that showed up on that dog
0: (laughs) totally
2: yeah i feel like
0: the the dog with the face on it is it kind of reminds me of the thing in that it's one of those where you see that image you go oh my god you know like you either know it's from this movie but or not but it's one of
2: those iconic creepy monsters. definitely didn't see that (laughs) I was. I knew something was going to happen with the banjo man because I showed him way too many times for it to just be nothing. Like I thought he was just going to like they'd cut to him one time and he'd just be like playing the same note over and over Mm -hmm. again or something. But no, to have his face (laughs) on a dog is way cooler. (laughs) (laughs) That was great.
1: I don't know. I see a lot of total like the original Total Recall in this movie for some reason. Oh, yeah. There's there's something about the special the special, excuse me, special effects with the pods themselves and that gauzy moist yeah puppetry quato ness that just you know the the dog yeah it's just the the mutancy just totally reminds me of that yeah i could
2: totally see that yeah i could definitely see that
1: so yeah
0: um before we hooked up with you molly uh harper and i were talking about how we couldn't really didn't really find much on the special effects themselves not much about i didn't find any cool articles or anything delving into it there weren't any thing on the um you know the dvd specials or anything like that so Mm. and when i look at what the special effects russell hesse it's like not too many other interesting (laughs) movies (laughs) <laughs> um, or let's see the other person is dell r-h-e-a-u-m-e and yeah mm-hmm. his other stuff isn't well amityville horror and trancers too <laughs> mm-hmm. but they were definitely really effective oh he worked uh, a little bit on the extraterrestrial masks of close encounters of the third kind so
2: Oh, it's okay. There. Yeah, it was weird. Like looking at the DVD, the it's totally it was like from an alternate universe because usually <laughs> there's like a million featurettes on like the explosions and the special effects and makeup and that kind of thing, and like one like two minute thing on the sound, which is the thing I mm-hmm. always like latch onto. And mm-hmm. in this case, it was like a fourteen minute thing with Ben Bird about how they made the scream and how the, you know what kind of vegetables they used for the for the pods to make the sounds of the pods. Mm-hmm. And then there's like two minutes on the special effects and all they talk about is the stuff that's floating from the, uh, at the beginning and the, the like little veins that come out of the, um, the gelatin thing at the very beginning when it's like on the leaf. It's just so weird. Like they only talk about those first two scenes for some reason.
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, is there anything else that you guys made note of or wanted to talk about with this, this movie?
1: I had one thing and it's, it's a little spicy, <laughs> but I will say, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm going to go on record and say, I think this is the best use of a nude scene in a movie I've ever seen. Mm. And my rationale for that, because I, and I'm, and I appreciate in that true blood sort of sense, give the people what they want, you know, <laughs> great. But I think that this wasn't used in that. Manner. I think it's the first, I think it's the first nude scene that I've really been seen that I've been really hit by because of the emotional note that it pops in on. Yeah. And so if, if anybody hasn't seen the end of this movie, you should turn off now. But there's that moment where Elizabeth disintegrates. And Donald Sutherland, just like Matthews, just like horrified. And then she like pops back up out of nowhere, and she's naked. And it was really shocking to me. Because like, why would she, you know, put on a pantsuit or anything in that moment? Well, one, because she popped out of nowhere, which was weird, because of all the things we've talked about, about like, how did that happen that the, you know, pod person was just laying in the bush, like six feet away, Mm -hmm. but, (laughs) or whatever psychic thing, you know, that was all about, but also just the shock that, you know, oh my god, like she, she didn't make it. So there's that kind of like really weird emotional shock. Then, you know, you're like, oh, my God, he's alone now. And then all of a sudden the duplicates there and there's and she's naked and they never got to like consummate their their love. They kind of, you know, there's this subplot of love that goes down. Like, they have these, like, tender kisses, but there's no real, like, mm, you know? There's, like, the I love yous, <laughs> but there's no, like, mm, do it. You know, we were going to do it on the <laughs> boat. We are going to be excited. We were going to get away. We were going to do it on the boat, and now it's all dashed. You know, it was, um, there was a sadness in it, and I think it showed this intimacy that mm. was lost on this other tier. And so I feel like it's the best. You, like, it's it's, like, that real masterful use of, intimacy in the human form not just for the tillation of sex right although sex is a part of it but for that extra layer of loss here too so i thought it was just really well done
2: yeah that scene is a powerhouse it's kind of amazing because yeah even just the i i almost forgot about the whole disintegration thing which is really creepy and disturbing Mm -hmm. and it's and it's just subtle too it's not like it it's not like raiders of the lost art kind of thing it's like just like kind of, you know, her face sort of starts to kind of squish a little bit. Like, it's just really unnerving. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, yeah, when she pops out, it's it's very much outside of the realm of usual horror movie nudity, which is definitely all about the, like, titillation factor. But in in this, it's definitely, it's really unsettling because it's, yeah, it's like he literally just saw this woman that he loves, like, you know melt in front of his eyes but oh here she is but she's not a human being anymore and like mm-hmm. it's this weird disturbing thing where like in some ways it's like this is what he's wanted but then obviously she's not she's not even a person anymore like it's this just like blast of like emotions it's super intense and disturbing and unsettling
1: hmm
0: well said awesome well i think I'm really glad to that. We all went on this journey <laughs> separately together and watched this movie and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was, it was entertaining. I would definitely, you know, rewatch this every few years and sort of see what new things unfold. And one question I had for you guys, cause I I'll say I found it. You know, creepy at times and i felt like it moved along at a pretty decent pace i didn't find it particularly scary in the sense that i wasn't like ah you know like frightened what what Yeah. You know, what did yeah. you guys think about as far as like scare factor or jump scares or any of that kind of stuff and granted i you know i knew I'd seen it before so I knew about the things that are re- revealed over over
2: the course of the movie you know uh to me I think the um the first half like before before it becomes like full on invasion alien movie is actually really k- kind of I don't know it was I don't know if scary is the right word but like definitely made me feel mm. really uneasy mm-hmm. like the paranoia was like like even in a movie like The Thing, which is all the time masterfully praised or praised for its masterful use of like paranoia and everything is, uh, even that doesn't really quite, it doesn't like hit me at home the way that this does because this is definitely much more of like a um, believable, like, like I could be in that situation. Mm. Like I'm not going to be in Antarctica anytime soon, like at a research base, but like, uh, yeah, I could wake up one day and my wife might act really strange and what would I do? Like, and then all these, and so it's like you almost wouldn't have anybody to go to. And like, there's this, like all the strange stuff happening around you. Like I found that part of the movie really kind of, uh, yeah. Like like I said, frightening is maybe not the right word, but definitely made me feel very uncomfortable in a, in a way that I was really impressed with the way that the movie did that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I didn't find myself, I mean, the dog, the dog face <laughs> was definitely a jump scare for me. But yeah. other than that, there was just a lot of like, oh,
2: oh, God, so
1: <laughs> gross. Those kinds of moments and the unease and the unease and the appreciation of the combination of the cinematography and the sound to create that sense of not comfortable consistently really uncomfortable and maintaining that sensation of there's something really wrong here there's something off and that i think in and of itself was pretty impressive because i don't know that i really get that consistent undertone in very many movies that's maintained
2: definitely and i'll throw in too is one one last piece of my favorite piece of trivia for the movie that uh speaking of jump scares and, and kind of the end of it that Poor Veronica Cartwright. <laughs> this I this I I just died laughing when I read the, the trivia about her that they didn't tell her what the end of the movie was going to be. Oh so wow! In that, so in that last scene when she walks up, she actually thinks it's going to be Donald Sutherland's character, and they're going to have like this conspiratorial like you know wink at each other or something. So she had no idea that was going to happen, which. If that if they did that with any other actress, it would be an interesting thing, an interesting bit of trivia. But the fact that it's Veronica Cartwright who Ridley Scott did the exact same thing to in Alien and mm. made this poor girl almost have a heart attack in the burster scene because she didn't know what was going to happen. Oh my God. Like, I cannot believe oh that God. same thing happened to the same actress twice in the span of like two years. It's oh. like unreal. I feel so oh, bad man. for her.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's great it's amazing Uh, yeah and i think with donald sutherland too one of the things i read that i thought was just kind of fun was that they put him in curlers so that he had that really curly hair (laughs) that's the best but uh yeah like like you molly i would say that i mean Donald Sutherland's been around for so long that, you know, now I think of him sort of in that the Hunger Games sort of where he is now as an mm-hmm. older guy and this did remind me of what his charisma was and that yeah, he he was very likable mm-hmm. and had a bit of a unconventional 70s sex appeal that, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but i kind of missed that oh, wow you know, that I miss that that's right. album because nothing <laughs> like a white boyfriend a
0: mustache nowadays so <laughs> many people are kind of conventionally attractive it's nice to remember and mm-hmm. connect with those quirkier characters
1: absolutely
0: so well before we kind of wrap things up today Uh, I wanted to see if anybody had anything that they wanted to talk about as far as what you've been up to since we all last um, put our, our separate movies by minutes podcasts to bed. And if there's anything that you just want to let people know about. And um, of course I've got my new podcast coming up. So I do want to talk about that, but I'd like to see what you guys are up to. Uh,
2: Well, I, I have a, very very thin plan for a new podcast that's potentially going to happen that I've been working on for a little while, but it's been uh I've been super super busy with my uh my freelance work, which is a good thing Yay! obviously, <laughs> but it's uh, it's definitely kept me from kind of starting up a new uh, new show like I've wanted to. So there's there's something hopefully in the works that I'll have uh, coming out in the next couple months, but um, yeah, don't I don't have any uh, firm details to release about it yet.
0: Okay, cool. Well, we'll check in with you over time and make sure that we, uh, if that comes to fruition or anything else you want to share, we'll make sure to let people know about it. How about you, Molly? What's shaking with you?
1: Well, there's a couple of podcasts that I'm talking about in development right now. It's kind of pre-production. So it'd be if it was launching, it'd be like 2019. Um, so it's kind of a stay tuned thing. There's a couple of folks I'm talking to about. You know, maybe doing. I, I needed to take a break from movies by minute for. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> you now that's a gauntlet, folks. <laughs> oh Times, but ooh, that's an iron gauntlet. But um, yeah, I'm feeling the, the the lure and the call back. So I'll I'll probably uh, I'll cruise back that way again in in a few months. But um, the one thing that I'm I'm working on to launch. Primarily right now is a t-shirt shop, which I've been wanting to do since I was a kid, really. Um, And I kind of did a half-assed attempt probably about 10 years ago and have learned from my mistakes and doing it fresh and clean. And so it's called Temple Groove Clothing. So that's something that's going to be on and live and delightful here in probably the next two months or so.
0: Awesome. That's really cool. yeah. Yeah. Super, super cool. Well great. Well, I'll just mention that um with the help of many people <laughs> <laughs> I have been I finally popped my podcast editing cherry and I am editing my first episode of Vibrant Visionaries. So it's something I talked about on on uh, Cabin Minute Cast there towards the end, and it's actually there is a website. It doesn't have much going on on it right now, but it is there. The vibrant uh, vibrantvisionaries dot com, and I'm going to launch on Thursday, July twenty sixth. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So. That'll be the first first episode, and I'm still debating. I was thinking I was going to go weekly. I might be going every other week because uh, editing is no joke. Amen. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, well,
2: welcome, welcome to the club. Yep. Oh man,
0: <laughs> so yeah, uh, uh, another uh, many blessings and thank you to Molly for editing Cabin and Cast. <laughs> And yeah, now I feel like I know a lot more what it's what it's like, um, you know, with somebody like you, Harper, that was doing it as a as a solo, you know, podcast producer definitely takes a lot of work. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, but just as a reminder, Vibrant Visionaries, uh, I am having conversations with multi-creative folks, including Harper. He's one of the people I talked with, Not too long ago. And uh, yeah, about process and just about your creative lives and sort of things we've learned along the way. And uh, I think that besides these interviews, I'll also be sprinkling in recommendations and book reviews and uh, even talking about uh, vibrant visionaries um, from history. Like I'm really into music and film and all that stuff. So I'd love to highlight and uh, share some of the creative people from the past that have done really interesting things so that we can all kind of learn together and um, all that good stuff. So yeah, so just check out vibrantvisionaries.com and uh, I'll be sending out emails to everybody and posting on Cabin Minute Cast and all that stuff. Uh, if you're interested in getting on my email list, you can email me at coach Heidi Bennett at gmail.com. That's coach Heidi Bennett at <laughs> gmail.com. And yeah. So I think that'll be it for our invasion of the body snatchers summer film club. Anybody out there that has uh, anything to add to the story here um, or tell us what you think about this movie let us know on Twitter. Let's see. We're cabin at cabin minute cast. And what's your Twitter handle there, Harper
2: uh, at
0: the thing, Minute. At the thing minute. Pretty easy to remember. Uh, any other um, places anybody wants to shout out to let people know where they can find you. Uh,
2: yeah. My, all my, uh, my audio stuff and, and other podcasts and things like that are all on uh, harperwharris.com
1: And how about you, Molly. Uh, Well, when it actually manifests, it'll be (laughs) templegrooveclothing.com. So it's not, I've got the domain, but I don't have anything up on it yet. Um, And then uh, my, my arty farty stuff is littleredmark.com. Cool. Well, sweet. Well,
0: I don't know how to end this guys. do we have any? <laughs> I wouldn't, I don't think it would be very polite to our listeners to let out a blood
2: curdling <laughs> scream. <laughs> all, uh, oh, I thought we were all going uh, to do that. Simultaneously. <laughs> uh,
0: maybe we can add in a little banjo here at the end to spice things <laughs> up. <laughs>
2: Ah,
0: okay well thanks again everybody for listening and hope you have a great rest of your summer and we'll talk with you soon bye
2: bye bye